Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and the changing times and the things we can all do to live a better life. Times get tough or even if they don't. Today is August the 29th, 2018. This is episode 2281 of the Survival Podcast. And I have a an old friend coming on uh, on the air with us in just a moment. He's uh, been on the air uh, before with us, but quite a long time ago. His name is James Burnett. Many of you might go, I don't know if I know him or not, but I tell you his blog, a lot of you are going to go, oh, that guy, it's survivalpunk.com. Uh, James and I go pretty far back. He visited me at uh, my place up in Arkansas, and uh, that, that's that's quite a few years ago, and, and we had been conversing uh, across the internet uh, before that. He's a really cool dude, and he recently, uh, recently four years ago, I guess, uh, went on the journey of building a tiny house. With the goal, the, the goal of that being to give him financial independence. Maybe he wouldn't have a Taj Mahal, but he'd have a place that was paid for that he owned, and he'd owe man nothing, and he could live the life that he wants to live. And that's right up the angle that we talk about here at the Survival Podcast all the time. So we'll have James on from Survival Punk to talk about tiny houses in just a minute. Uh, before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is westernbotanicals.com. I, I always try to turn to herbs first uh, for anything medicinal in my life, especially chronic things or tonifying things to prevent uh, the onset of illness. I use certain herbs around the time of cold and flu season. I think that helps me get through that with a lot less problems. Uh, I've, I've talked at length about my use of things like comfrey uh, for a knee injury and for other injuries and things like that. And I can tell you this is how it works. If it's legal and herbal, you will find it at Western Botanicals. And uh, the, the beauty of, of Western Botanicals, they don't lie, they don't make crap up, they don't tell you that you know you're, they're going to use ginger to cure cancer or something like that. They're straight shooters with real people that really care about you. And if you pick the phone up and call them, a real person will answer and handle all your customer service needs. And that real person will be in Utah, not New Delhi. Uh, these guys have been a great supporter of us. They've been a sponsor for seven and a half years. I rely on them. I think you should too. And they're such strong supporters, they give away their discount membership, which is a $50 value for free to members of the MSB. So check them out today at westernbotanicals.com. And if you're an MSB member and haven't got your free membership from them yet, go ahead and get that set up. It saves you 25% on all your orders, and that adds up really quickly. Uh, so Western Botanicals, strong supporter, great product, great people. Glad to have them now. Again, seven and a half years supporting the Survival Podcast. Next up today, Ready-Made Resources. This is the company that does what they say and says what they do. All the resources you need, ready-made, ready to go, point, click, and buy on their website with great pricing and great customer service. Another company who's been around with us, I think, about eight and a half years that we've been working with Ready-Made Resources. That's a long time to have a relationship with anybody in the world of the Internet, especially podcasting. They have a lot of cool stuff. What I'd kind of like to talk to you about today is... Their alternative energy stuff, their, their power generation stuff, solar panels, 12-volt product, wind generation product, all little pieces and parts you need to get everything together. They've got it all. And, and I mean, they're almost a solar company inside of a general preparedness company. They have expertise. If you're trying to put something together, you can give them a call. They'll help you figure out what to buy and figure out whether or not you need to be doing it in the first place. And, I mean, they've just got it all. And they have everything else, too. As I say often when I talk about them, 
Tactical to Practical and Gardens to Guns. And they've got everything in between those things over at ReadyMadeResources.com. Before I go ahead and bring James on, let's take a look at a year in history. David Vernon is back and has a segment for us today from the year 150 A.D. So what was going on in the year 150 A.D.? That was quite a while ago. How about this? Building the Pyramid of the Sun. The Pyramid of the Sun was built around this time in Toulousacon, Mesoamerica. It was 246 feet. It's currently 216 feet high making it the tallest structure in pre-Columbian America. The original name of the structure is unknown. The name Pyramid of the Sun was given to it by the Aztecs, who visited the city of Totankhan centuries after it was abandoned. The purpose of the pyramid remains unknown, with theories of a temple or a burial site. My take by David Verne. I wish we knew more about ancient Mesoamerica. Much, of, much is known about the rulers of various cities and a myriad of cultures, but there is a lot that is unknown. We have letters and business records from the Romans that give us accounts of how daily life and trade worked, but nothing like that exists in Mesoamerica. You know what this makes me think of, and not necessarily just Mesoamerica, but Rome, we do have a lot of information, so more of this has been done. I think TV shows and TV series that are loosely based on history, but set in a time and place where they really, you know, they have the technology they had and didn't have at the time, so they don't have things they shouldn't, uh, and you see what life is like are incredibly interesting. I'd like to see more of that. Uh, I think it would be really interesting to see, you know, a series or a mini-series that would be based on what we do know of Mesoamerica or even uh, the, the Americas, let's say, at times where we do know a little bit more about them, let's say in the initial days of settlement, but not so much in what was going on from a European settlement standpoint, but what life was like here. Because that's something that most people just, I don't even think, even think about. And I'll tell you what, if you ever had a, a, a group of people that were innate survivors, it was the people of the Americas prior to the arrival of European settlers. Uh, this was a, an incredible place with an incredible diversity of, of people and, and tribals and sub-nations and things like that. It, it would be really interesting. don't have any big uh, lessons for you. I just thought I would kind of point that out. That's something I've always been interested in is, is real-time and place uh, TV shows that are more about the average person than, than the famous people. And again, kind of David points it out, and he's dead on. The reason we know so much or, or know specifically or have these things be based on the, the, the rulers and things like that is that's what records were kept on. Uh, and that's a unique thing today, isn't it? The, the, there's records by choice. Of, of most people today, your Instagram account, for instance, that, that shows little piddly things that you wouldn't think anybody cares about today. And maybe they don't. Like, I don't care where you went and bought bread. But I think that, you know, uh, 500 years from now, it might be interesting to, to wonder what people will gain from what it, whatever is left of our digital record. There's certainly more information being recorded now than any time in history. With that, let's go ahead and get into it. We're going to be talking about tiny houses today with my buddy James Burnett. A uh, really cool guy. Again, he's got a great site called survivalpunk.com. He's returning to the Survival Podcast. And with that, hey, James, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. How's it going, man? Jack, it is doing good. How are you? I'm great, man. You, you haven't been on in a long time. We had you on a long time ago. We had you up at my place in Arkansas an even longer time ago. Right. And, and you've been making it happen with uh, survivalpunk.com. So, before we get into your subject and uh, talk about tiny houses for survival, 
Give us the uh, who is James like elevator speech. Go back to like you're sitting in high school checking out a chick or something in study hall and trying to figure out what the hell to do with your life and and then how do you, how does that bring you around to being an editor in chief of survivalpunk.com? Um I had a I had a rough high school. Like uh it I ended up like uh, my my senior year I was in a group home and then I got kicked out of the group home and I got my own house. So I was like, oh, you know, living big, you know, like uh what 18 19 with my own house um and then from there that didn't work out because you know 18 19 you're an idiot (laughs) (laughs) you think you know a lot but you're really an idiot yeah um so you know i spent some time being homeless which was you know in retrospect i learned a lot from being homeless like i i have another podcast i'm put out on like survival lessons from being homeless um and not like a a weird homeless guy that you know might attack you like you know smart homeless guy (laughs) Um, but yeah, you know, it, uh, rough life teaches you a lot of lessons. So, um, wouldn't trade it for anything. You know, from there, you know, I eventually picked myself up, you know, worked up in the world, uh, to where I was working management job, lots of hours a week, um, hating it, you know, and, uh, you know what? And I, I have a penchant for, uh, sort of horror movies, zombie movies. Like I've always loved zombie movies and like, uh, you know, uh, shit hit the fan movies. So one day, just out of boredom, I'm Googling it. I'm like, you know what? I want like a novelty, stupid, apocalyptic survival kit to hang on my wall and look cool next to my other crap on the wall. <laughs> so I'm Googling it, and it takes me to the Zombie Squad forum and like their massive bug out bag thread. And I spent four hours going down that thing going, man, this is not like a joke hobby. Like this is legit. Like you know, and uh, that was sort of my eyes opening. Like I'm like, okay, so basic preparedness, like just be prepared for small things, like job losses. Like they joke about zombies, but really, like a zombie is any sort of disaster to them. You know, it's like lost your job. Oh, that's your zombie. You know, you live in Florida, a hurricane hit. That's your zombie. You know, so it just sort of made me start thinking about practical survival. Um, which, and one day a link on there led me to throw a podcast. I started listening to that and, you know, it, you were yelling, you know, <laughs> follow your passion, go make a business. And, uh, I was working overnights at the time. And when you work overnights, your life is totally screwed up. Like you, there's no one awake when you're awake in the morning, your friends want to do stuff when you're sleeping during the day. Um, so you can only do like really weird inside things. Like I was playing some online video games and like, I'm not throwing my life away. Like, if Jack knew I was sitting here playing World of Warcraft, he would probably <laughs> kick me in the balls. So, I'm like, you know what? I've been, I've been on the pod about trying to make a website, um, combining the things that I love, which is, you know, survival, uh, some DIY stuff, some punk music, a little punk attitude. Um, so I just bought the domain and put it up and it was hideous. You know, it, my blogs were so badly written forever. Like, my first blog post, which was how to make sauerkraut, um, I wrote that on my phone in the parking lot at work. And it was horrible. Like, I, there's probably still spelling errors in it today. Um, but I put it out and, um, that was like 2011, 12, somewhere in there. And, you know, 2018, I'm still, I put out a podcast today. Um, so, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of people start podcasts, start websites. You know, and a year or two later, they're gone. I mean, the the, the if they go a year or two, I get impressed, right? Yeah. If they get past episode twelve, I'm impressed. 
Honestly, you know, and I, I it always, it, it, well, I know we haven't been podcasting recently, <laughs> but this is episode three, and it's like, dude, you just, you're, you're wasting it, man. Yeah. I mean, I missed last week due to sore throat, and like you were saying uh, before we started recording, like, when you're a podcaster and you have a sore throat, like, you really can't do a whole lot. Like, you make a horrible episode that no one likes, or you get better. Yeah, you do. You have to. You have to take care of your voice. It's weird. It's the way you make a living. And uh, we were we were chatting. You know, like when I do one of these workshops, uh, the the day after that I come back, it's like oh, oh and it just sucks. But you feel like I got to do something. So this year we were strategic, man. We have the uh, workshop bump, bumped up against Veterans Day. So the Monday after, I can run the Veterans Day special and uh, and take a break. But. So, so since you've been doing this, like, where are you at with it now? Uh, you know, I, I have a core group of pretty dedicated fans. Uh, you know, I call them the punks. We've got a group on Facebook. You know, it's I, – I haven't grown it into a, you know, survival podcast, you know, level of greatness yet. Um, but I also haven't, you know, put in an episode every single day for four years running. So, you know, it's – it's still got a lot of potential for growth, and it's it's getting there. Um, it's still a, like a work of love. Like I love doing it, you know, and I get back what I put into it. No, I understand that fully, and I mean, you can see there's consistency there, and that's what I've always said. It's not about like you're you're not going to be as consistent as we are here unless this is the only thing you do. There's there's no way that we could put out the consistency we do unless we, we had turned it into a full-time business. But oh, yeah. having some kind of standard frequency that people know they could show up for. And then you, what you've been real good is, is like using the things in your life to generate content. I try to do that too. And one of those things was you know a tiny house project. So can we go into like maybe how did you build your tiny house? What was the, the method that you chose? Because there's like a whole bunch of different ways that that could be done. There are, and... Um, you, you watch some of the YouTube videos and stuff, and you're like, the people are just like independently wealthy, or they're lying about how they built it, or it's taken like 20 years. Um, <laughs> and you know, I I think the way that I did it, maybe not the best, but it worked. I'm in it. I've been living in my tiny host house for three years, four years now, something like that. Um, and I pretty much think everybody could do it. And once you're in it, then you know, it's easy. It's um, so what I did was I got that management job at, you know, a company that I didn't really love, okay. but the management job, you know, my last year there, I cleared 60 grand, which is not bad for what I was doing. Uh, you know, and the whole, t and the thing is that they were matching my 401k contributions a hundred percent, everything I put in, they put in. So I put in as much as possible. Then I quit, cashed out my 401k, built my tiny house. You know, it was my it was my grub stake. It was my lump sum, and uh, you know, I paid some penalties for it, but I'm in my house. Got you. So, you know, it it worked out for me. Um, if people are having trouble saving money, then you know, get that job you hate. Uh, find one that matches your 401k, which most people match. You know, a good portion of your 401k for a percentage. Like mine was 100% for 6% of your salary. So, you know, I put in the max amount that they contribute, no more, and did that for a few years. And, it, I mean, I'll just say right here, if that's your plan, fine. But go if they have it, go with the Roth option. Then you'll only pay penalties on the uh, on the gains, you know. Right. Uh, I, I could have done it better. Um, I 
had to pay some IRS fines for a couple years. So, you know, and you, you learn as you go. Yeah. So, uh, had I, had I gone the Roth option, I would have saved some serious butt hurt. Um, cause, <laughs> yeah. No the worst kind of butt hurt, IRS butt hurt is, yeah, like, it's, they put that glove on, it goes up to the elbow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah, it, it infuriated me. It's like, uh, that, that just, yeah, it, it pissed me off how much they, they robbed from me. So, but it worked, you know, like I remember years ago on a podcast, you're like, most of my audience is trying to figure out how to live like a broke ass redneck that can't figure out any other way to live that way. You know, and it's like, that's, you know, I wouldn't call myself a broke ass redneck, but, you know, I don't. I live in a tiny house. It's paid for. You know, yeah. I paid for it like thirty three. So well, that's, I mean, let that's, me put some context in that for maybe people that didn't hear that. So what I was yes. talking about is that his buddy who was always bitching about his life, and he he described how he wanted to live. And I was like, you know, there's there's a, a couple hundred million broke or probably you know tens of millions of broke ass rednecks out there that live <laughs> exactly the way you say you want to live, and and you make a good living. So I don't understand what your problem is. And his problem was, of course, that he was he was wanting it both ways. He wanted a job in the city that paid a lot of money, and he wanted to live out in the woods. Well, then you got to get a job that paid a lot of money, or you got to build a business. But right. the concept of what you really want is a simple life. Then it doesn't take anywhere near the income. I think people think it does to live a simple life. And like, so why don't you just go make that for yourself instead of like going, gee, I wish I could live, you know, in the woods and have almost no bills and like. There's people that do that because they have to. And if they right. want to do that because they have to, well, you can figure out a way to do that by design. Yeah. It, I've, it, it's more of an excuse. Like People say that they can't do it just because they don't want to do what's necessary to go do it, you know? So I, I don't understand, you know? I understand completely. They, it's a, excuses are easier to make than results. That's what it is. But uh, when, I, when I'm asking how, like, one of the things I'm thinking more is like uh, from a oh, te- technical standpoint, right? Like not I got just how you, you I got funded you. it, but like like what? It, there's multiple ways people do this. Some people try to build little earth ships out of tires or sandbags. Or whatever. I, I think you took kind of the shed conversion path, or did you? I did build it from. Okay, there you go. Yeah, sorry, I misunderstood. So yeah, um, I like I built my entire blog on. I want the biggest bang for my buck. So I found one of the local like Amish shed builders. Um, paid like four grand to have uh, 12 by 20 delivered, you know, and it was, it was a pretty long haul that he had to take it to, um, <laughs> you know, and to have that good quality from, you know, I looked at the guys, other, like, that's a long way for a horse and buggy to drag a shed. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he made this house. Um, he made the, sh- he made the shell basically. Yeah. You know, I got, I got the outside. I didn't have windows. I installed the windows, uh, I had a door and I had, you know, interior frame of a, of a shed, you know. So I did all of the, the interior work, you know, the walls. Um, I chose, uh, I actually went with stained plywood because I don't know. I think it looks better than, than drywall. Uh, the stained plywood, like it has a good grain finish. I like it. Um, you know, and built the loft. I did all the electrical. I had some, uh, I had a friend help me. Um, the electrical is not like really super duper hard. Um, I think the concepts are pretty easy. Like when you kind of understand them, I just wanted someone with experience to sort of double check me and be like, yeah, that's, you're doing it right there. Um, 
and I wired it up. I wired it with the exact same plug and like, uh, outlet boxes would be on a travel trailer. So I just put a travel hitch in where I parked my house at and just plugged it in just like you would an RV. Okay. So, um, and the, I, I would say if you watch a lot of YouTube videos, like they, I don't think when they show you the cost, like, oh, it only took like $250. Like you can't buy screws for $250. No. Like no. to do all the stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I don't know if you saw my most recent aquaponics build, but it's it's basically a 300-gallon Rubbermaid, and I've got this frame of landscape timbers around it. And I use these uh, structural wood screws to hold those timbers together because I basically built a retaining wall, filled that with earth. I bet you got $100 in structural screws oh, yeah. in that thing. And you ain't building a freaking house for $250. That's no. not happening. I probably spent... Um Five hundred dollars or more on the plywood for the walls, the loft, um, and that's just like. But you know, whereas you see these people like, I've watched tiny house documentaries, and these these idiots are like, you show them building their house, and it's like, skip forward two years, they still build the house. Like, you know, I bought the shed of my tiny house, you know, and it doesn't have wheels; it's on blocks, um, and I had it built, you know, on the inside. Two months I was living in it. You know, and that, that was while still working in a job. Like, so I'd come down the weekends and like throw up some walls, put some insulation in, you know, drive back home like two hours away. So, you know, I, the bang for your buck would be to buy one of these shed kits. Um, you know, and you almost like the prices on these shed kits, you almost can't buy the lumber and build it yourself for as cheap as you'll get it built and delivered. No, you so. can't. And uh, what I'll add to that is because you don't do it every day, you won't. Right, so because you will screw something up, you will end up buying an extra sheet of paneling. You will, you know what I mean. You're gonna, you're gonna make mistakes and have waste that that, that the person that does it every day doesn't. We ordered right. one. We had two. We had built here. One is a 16 by 20, and one is an 8 by 8. And the 16 by 20, two guys came and put it together in a day. And <laughs> yeah. I would, st I would still be working on it. It was two years ago. I would still be you know, like, oh, I gotta get the shingles on there. And the 8x8, eight eight, I was pissed because the guy was supposed to be here at, like, noon. And we get a text from him, I'm running late, I won't be here until 3. And I'm like, this thing's not going to be done today, and now I'm going to have to deal with being home tomorrow. He got here at 3 o'clock, and he left at 6. And it was done. And it was done right. So I, I'm, a, I'm in agreement. Like, I, I'm always looking for, like, that little piece of bug-out property or whatever. And... I would absolutely go the shed route, and I often think about doing one here um, and, and maybe doing some kind of like a transition program for veterans or something, and if I did that, I would definitely go the shed route. I think that, you know, especially once you insulate that thing, um, I, I don't know how you could do better than to take that approach from a bang for the buck. Could you do no. a better house if you sit panels or something? Sure. Can you do better per dollar square foot under roof? I I defy anybody to prove me wrong on that, unless you're like one of these guys. But you ever see Alone in the Wilderness, the guy that moved to Alaska back in like the, the 60s or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he goes Dick in. He has, yeah, he goes in. He has like the metal part of his tools. He doesn't even take handles. And he goes, yeah. he like chops a tree down with an axe head and then makes like a handle for the axe. And then he, he has a real axe. And then he, he like builds a hammer, you know, and like if you're him, okay, sure. But anybody else, I defy you to do better on a bank per buck per square foot than a shed right. version. Right, and I don't want to hear any armchair like 
you know, survival builder saying, yeah, I would do that. You've never lifted a hammer in your life. You're not going to go do that. You're not Dick Prinicky if you're not him. Yeah. yeah. You're, uh, this is the same guy that has the, uh, the, the case of survival seeds, right? <laughs> and his, never grown? In his closet that's been there since like 2004. Yeah. And uh, he's going to grow a garden with it if the, the, the zombies march, right? Yeah, it's, it's not happening. Oh, yeah. So, so what made you do that? Like, I guess you were kind of on that before I pushed you back over to the te- a little bit on the technicals. Like, was it just a lifestyle desire and you're like, this is my path to my lifestyle? It, yeah. I mean, um, I was trying to live that broke redneck lifestyle in the woods, you know, uh, how I wanted, you know, um, more f- like I wanted more freedom of life. And if you live in a city, you have less freedom. There's more eyes watching. There's more people telling you what to do. Um, and I've, I never fell into that. And I hate to say it, but because I was, you know, born in 83, technically I'm a millennial. Yeah. I never fell into that millennial trap, you know, of like running up debt. Like I went to college for a year and like at the end of the year, like I looked at the bill and I'm like five grand for a year. I've literally got nothing out of this except for I got to play on the high speed internet and I did get something out of it. I built my first website in college on their T1 lines in the computer lab. For free. So building websites is the only thing I ever got out of that college experience. And I saw the debt and I'm like, I can't do this. I can't. I'm not a debt person. Um, it just is always giving me the hibbly jibblies. And I just I wanted a debt free life, simple, do what I want. And then the other part of that lifestyle design is when you live a life with no debts, like no bills, you know, like my bills are things that I choose to have, like I want to have internet, so I'll buy internet. You know, um, if I want to spend the money on Netflix, then I spend the money on Netflix. But I'm not, I'm not, you know, crushed by the burden of debt. You know, so, you know, if if me and my uh, family are like, we're gonna eat steak this week, you know, I'm not stressed out. I'm like, oh yeah, we don't we don't have to pay a car note, we don't have to pay rent. Like, you know, I, my house is parked on my buddy's land. I give him some money for you know taking his electricity. You know, so it's lifestyle design like that uh i can't imagine the people that are just burdened by that debt and just you know that they're crushed by it so i wanted a i wanted to own my own home at you know 33 or something when i started this 34 or something and it's you know and I, i tried to get like i tried to like look around and work with realtors and get like a house or um a mobile home you know on some land already and it was just ridiculous. Like it was, you know, I couldn't find anything good. Um, the prices were too high and I was just like, I'm just, I'm just going to build a tiny home, which is all that I need. Cause I built it, you know, to house everything I needed and to, to have things, you know, to have like space for stored food, to have things for the things that I wanted in my life and not have tons of spare room that I didn't need. So I don't have to worry about it. You know, well, yeah, and I understand what you mean about the craziness because, like, I can buy land for a reasonable price, let's say an hour and a half, two hours from here, if I buy 50 acres. If I want to buy an acre, it, it's, 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 it's unbelievable what they – and I, so I bought this house, I guess, almost six years ago now. I think it will be six years in January. And I paid 205 for it, three acres, two big shop buildings, 2,500-square-foot house. There's a three-acre piece on my west side that I wanted to buy. 
And the guy wanted $105,000 for it. He wasn't actively marketing it. Now, this is like a dilapidated piece of land. There's two mobile homes on it that will cost you tens of thousands of dollars to get rid of. They're not salvageable <laughs> in any way. There's like busted old tractor parts. It's just people have been using it as a dump. And I'm looking at it going, I'm going to have 15 to 20 grand into cleaning this place up. He wants 105 for it. He's smoking crack. Yeah. Well, about a year ago, he decided to actually try to sell it. Not just, well, he, he would if somebody offered, but he actually put it up on the market. So apparently buyers are smoking crack, too, because <laughs> he sold it in one day. He got a buyer in one day. They paid $100,000 for this piece of land. They're living in a travel trailer, getting the land ready to build a house. And I, I, I don't get it. And, and you know, you could still buy a three-bedroom, two-bathroom house. Now you're going to buy it in the suburbs here. Mm -hmm. You know, a really nice one, though, for like a hundred and a half. And I don't understand this disconnect in economics, but I'm not going to participate in it. So I know exactly where you're coming from. Yeah, I, you know, and I tried to get financing for like mobile homes on land, and it was somehow so much harder than like a house. Like my idiot realtor that I had took me to this one house, and being prepared, I had a flashlight with me, opened up like a bedroom door shine my light in there the entire closet was covered in black mold and i'm like we're done here i'm not looking at this like yeah. one it's not anything i wanted anyway and two it's a death trap i'm done well if it's yeah you just can you almost can't fix that at that point and if you do it'll cost you more to fix it than it's worth that's why it's for, what you know what fixes it is a match right yep. a match and a yep. can of gasoline uh so How how do you see this as like a survival strategy, th this house, in addition to just like where you live? I mean, not even taking on the fact that, you know, I'm I'm in a bug out type location. Um, I don't I don't have debt, so I have the ability to, you know, make purchases that are smart. I can buy things that I need. You know, if um, it it allows you to free up more money for savings, which by God is a survival technique. Um, I own my own home, so I don't have to pay rent, you know, and I, that's a survival. Like, yeah, there's some, there's some, like, you know, monetary advantages that, you know, making a house payment, but I'm sorry, but owning your house trumps that. Like, not having that payment, not having to worry about that payment, you know, like, survival man philosophy 101, like, the, your job is to put food on the table and keep a house over your family's heads, right? Absolutely. If you, if you own your house, check, done. Don't get to worry about it. Um, so there's that, you know, that it frees up money to have food storage. Um, you know, check box number two, I got food. So not having that, that bill, just that, you know, even, you know, mortgage or like a monthly, you know, rent payment that you're throwing away for an apartment. Um, that's a survival topic if I've ever heard one. So that, and then there's a, there's a lot of things you can do with a tiny house. Like, My tiny house. This is a, this is the second property that my tiny house is on, and um, I had an arrangement with another person. It didn't work out, so I hired a shed moving company to just come pick it up and move it. You know, I don't have a tiny house on wheels, but it's a shed. Any shed mover can move my house. You know, and I moved it 130 miles or something away. Gotcha. And what would you say you have into this? As far as total cost, like the land, the home, everything, like what did this set you back to do this? Honestly, I'd say I'm hovering around eight grand. What? So, yeah, I mean, I paid I paid like four grand to buy the shell, 
and then probably another four to five grand that I put on the inside. And gotcha. Um, there's still little tweaks here and there. Like, um, so I got married recently, and women have this thing about running water. So I had to, <laughs> I had to finish my shower. Uh, well, In her defense, we'll I have a thing for running water too, man. I I understand. Yeah. So, um, you know, I got that in there and, uh, I actually bought my water heater, which is like an eco temp on demand portable, uh, propane hot water heater. I got that with my Amazon money from survival punk. So bam, that's awesome. And, uh, that thing is great for a tiny house. Like it's good for like camping and stuff, but like it's, you don't have that problem of like running out of hot water. Like I've been running on this propane cylinder, which is like a 25 pound pounder since the end of last winter so oh wow yeah it, it takes such a little amount of heat and like we have the 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 hot water setting on that um hot water heater turned all the way down like if it goes up a little bit like it gets like it just gets too hot um it's, it's it's a great little heater for like 60 bucks i paid for it from amazon gotcha so i, I might have missed it there what's the land situation then so it's, it's my sometime co-host of a Sorrel Punk podcast, Catch It Mike, he, he's got 27 acres. Um, and he's my best friend. So he's like, just come park your house on my house. Gotcha. Come, park, come park it on my land. So, um, you know, it works out. Do you have any long-term plans of maybe getting your own piece of uh, dirt? I have definitely kicked that around. Um, and once again, I can just pick up my house and, you know, move it there. Or I can leave it here and have this a bug out location and, you know, build another house. Build another one. Yeah, that's cool. So you're doing this with family. Like, how, how do you make that work? And you say you got married. So any kids yet, or is it just a couple? My wife came with a 12 year old. Okay. So, um, not far off of what you had, I believe. So, um, yeah, I went from being a single guy in a tiny house, which is when most people are like, oh, yeah, you can survive in a tiny house fine as a bachelor guy, but you can't do it as a, with a family. And, that's not true, you know. It's there's three of us in here, um, and like I said, it's a twelve by twenty, so like two hundred some odd square feet plus a loft up top. I you was going to ask you about the loft because a loft definitely helps in in that kind oh, of yeah. footprint. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, you know, and and we kind of kicked around the idea of like uh, getting another like an eight by eight shed on the side of it, you know, pushing out a wall and just giving him a room there. Yeah. Um, for right now, you know, because we've been married for a couple months now, he's. I have one of those uh, Eureka Solitaire uh, single-man camping tents. Yeah. So I have him set up in that so he has a little privacy and stuff um, for now. You know, he'll need something more in the next couple of months. But, you know, that's it for now. And, you know, organization is a key. You get a little out of organization in a tiny house, then everyone's bumping each other. And so you got to be kind of keen on that. And, you know, you might want to head over to Pinterest and find some of them storage, you know, organizing ideas. Yeah. Um, you know, and maximize your vertical storage stuff. But it's tell him to get know. a job, man. You know, you can get one of those eight by eights for about twelve hundred bucks installed. Yeah, you right? know what? He could finish it out himself. He doesn't even have to attach it. It could be like you know, he's got the because I've always thought like if I was going to do this and if I if I, I've decided I got to make this work with especially multiple children. Then that's what you get. You get a 64 square foot bedroom. Then you get to help finish it out. That motivates you to do it. But yeah. then the house has, you know, the shower. The house has the kitchen. 
etc. And then you kind of create, like build this little family compound. Exactly. And then when they get old enough, and you're like, you got to move out. Well, just pack your house with your shit and go, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I had been kicking around how I can like attach it so that you know when he wants we can just you know he can take it with him wherever he goes or if he doesn't then you know we reuse it for put a for our walkway in don't attach it that's too much work I you know what I wanted to do that I want to just have a shed set it up and just like have like a little covered walk my and my wife in her mind she just doesn't think that's part of the same house and won't accept it. Uh, <laughs> she's like that's not he's not really in our house and I'm like it is it's you know. Covered like they do it in other countries. They have like little walk. Like she and that's not it. a bad thing. It, 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 let's just take her 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 point of view as being valid. Right. Why is that bad? What? Why is that? I mean, he would still be closer to you by physical proximity than most people would be in a typical three bedroom house on a split floor plan. Like right. the distance from the master bedroom to the kids' bedroom in a split floor plan. Is gonna run about. I'm just thinking of my house on the old floor plan before it was modified. Seventy, sixty to seventy feet. The distance you'd have there might be fifteen. Yeah, you might know? be fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Sounds like a plan to me, man. See, he gets older. Like I'm, you plan it in his head, and he'll want it. Let him convince her. Yeah, I'm working on. Like, <laughs> I kind of had an idea for like a Japanese type little courtyard, and then have like yeah. a little walkway, and then bam, house right there. So. Man, when I was a kid, I would have been all over that. Oh, yeah. Like I mean, having your own little crib, you know? Yeah, a little fortress. Like, oh, I'm, I'm connected to the house, but I'm not. I got my own thing. You know, and he's, uh, God, 12, 13. So yeah. he's going to, he's, he's right there on the cusp of like, screw you guys. I want to be by myself a little bit, you know, like yeah. the teenage mentality. So he's going to have to have something out there. All right, man. I, I, I dig that. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about how you, you mentioned, you know, this is a shed conversion. You moved it. A little bit how about how you did that because like I I've gotten a reputation for like being a tiny house hater I am not I hate yeah. tiny houses on TV because Absolutely. I find those people to be the most pinheaded morons that think they're going to build this tiny house and drive all over the country without like, you need a travel trailer right you don't need a tiny house you're not going to pull that with your Tahoe I'm sorry but right. but if you the one thing they got even if they pay somebody else to move it. Like, they decide they buy a piece of land or something and they want to move across the country. You hire somebody with a rig and just boom, and it's it's pretty straightforward. How do you handle it when it's, you know, obviously they can be moved. The guy moved it when he brought it there. But you add stuff, you got a lot more weight. Like, how, how did you handle that exactly? I, um, I called around, I talked to a lot of people, and um, nobody that I know of is going to move one of these tiny house, like, sheds with a lot of stuff in it. Like the more stuff you have in it, the weight goes up, your price is going to go up. Um, so I had to get, you know, it's a tiny house. So I had to get a, a little moving truck. So one little moving truck that fit everything in my house. Um, even all my preps, all that stuff, move that here. And I had to sort of time it so that the guy that picked up the shed and moved it, we were doing it at about the same time so that I can just unload and load into it. Um, you know, so paid, with travel and stuff, maybe five hundred for the no four four five hundred for renting the uh, the rental van and a thousand for the guy to pick it up and move it, which is more you know <laughs> it's that was a pretty good deal for as far as he was taking it and you know 
number you attention. So fifteen hundred dollars to pick up a house, you know, several counties away yeah. and move it. Um, that's not bad. Like that, like compared to like if you have your house on a land, like and say you site built it, it's there. You're done. Yeah. You know. You know, I saw in like this old house, like moving old houses and stuff, like. Not going to happen with a modern house. Not going to be worth paying for it. Um, your house is just gone. You're going to have to try to sell it and recoup the price, and maybe you can't do that. So my house, you know, I got in my mind, you know, and 1500 bucks may seem like a lot, but if you really try hard, you can you can scrounge up that money somehow. Like, you know, friends, you can start selling off the shit you don't need that if you're in a tiny house, you probably don't have a lot of, um, you know, but – you can make that money and get your house moved, and that's what I did. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about the people that do. We're kind of already on this a bit, but the people that do claim like he can do this stupid cheat. Oh. Like, what is what is their malfunction or disconnect with reality? I don't know if they're just li- like lying or if they. I don't understand. Like, I don't see how you can say that without lying. Like, I've talked to your buddy Gary Collins quite a bit about it. Um, even though he calls them teeny houses, it's a little jab at Gary there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah, it, I, you know, like if you just walk around Lowe's and you look at building costs, I don't see how you can come up with this. Like I know of, unless you want to be next level crazy, you know, if you want to like go buy and build a house, then you're going to spend, I think my eight grand or whatever was a really good, you know, like most people my age. Yeah. You can probably save about eight grand. Um, which is not even going to be a down payment in a house nowadays. Like the eight grand is probably not going to get you a good house. You're probably to double that. Um, but you know, these people, they're, they're saying they built houses for like 200. Like literally I saw one guy that was like, I built my home for like $250. Um, and I think the article that I read, the guy did build it for $250, but he literally like dr- Two hundred fifty dollars out of cash, not not counting his time and stuff. Yeah, um, he drove around for all those like free cycle postings and like dumpster dived and built it all from like salvage material, and it took a while because you know you have to depend on what you're salvaging. So yeah, you know if you want to be crazy, you probably could build a house for like two hundred fifty dollars. Um, and I mean this is talking like he had to pull nails out of pallets and stuff. Because he's not going to Lowe's and buying, you know, boxes of nails for two hundred fifty dollars. He's recycling those too. Um, and if that's what gets your kicks off, man, good on you. But I don't have time for that. Well, and I, I, I find that number still completely disingenuous because, like, I, I don't know about you, your vehicle, but mine doesn't run on jelly beans, and even they cost money. So there's, there's a. A financial component to that with just burning gas, driving around, picking all this stuff up. Right. So I don't mean to nitpick when somebody gives a project price, but that's really disingenuous. And then the labor is ridiculous. I'm sure you've taken a pallet apart. And, man, there ain't no way in hell um, that I will take a pallet apart by pulling nails out of it. No. I take a pallet apart with a sawzall, yep. and I cut the nails. Right, and then like, and sometimes like you just cut the. What you do is you cut the like you got three boards that are there, three places the boards are nailed down, and one in the center, two on the sides. Cut the sides straight off, and then cut the center nails. 
And, you know, you make a lot of scrap and a lot of burnables that way. And the wood's cool. It looks neat. You can do different things with it. I think it'd yeah. make awesome paneling or something like that. But even that, the amount of work you do is is extensive to make enough pallet wood to panel a single wall, an eight an eight foot by eight foot wall. Right. It, it's, it's, it's bull crap to, to say there's no financial stake in that. I guess if you're the broke-ass redneck with nothing else to do, you have the time, it might make sense for you, but I think you have to factor something in for labor. I mean, I would be fine if the guy said, you know what, minimum wage is seven, you know, forty-five or whatever it is an hour, and I've got a thousand hours into this, so there's seven thousand dollars worth of labor in it. Okay, right. fine. But you can't just say that you have nothing into it for labor. It just doesn't make no. sense. They, like you said, they don't factor that. They don't factor, you know, the time of looking on Craigslist to find these materials, or driving around and trying to find pallets. Like, and I'm still calling bullshit on two hundred fifty dollars. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. Even if you do it the way they say they're doing it, I still, I defy you. I, and if you have built your house using nails you pulled out of pallets, you don't have a very strong structural system. I'm sorry. Like, those nails are no. not meant to hold up walls or floors, right? I, I don't. Right. <laughs> and they're, I mean, if you're doing all of that, I'm sorry, but you're some sort of special crazy, like, I, you know, like you said, is it going to be like seven, you know, minimum wage to pull nails out of pallets, or just go get a better paying job and buy the the nails? Like, I, you know, which one's easier here, guys? I'd much rather work a job and get the money to buy the nails than I would spend all day pulling them out. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Let's talk about. I think a lot of times people learn a lot from mistakes, especially the mistakes oh. of others. So what what didn't work well for you with this project? There, I could write a book, Jack. I could write a book on things that didn't work. Um, first off, um, don't believe everything you see on like the Pinterest. Like I saw, and I don't know if it was Pinterest. It was probably on Facebook, and it was a Pinterest link to to Facebook or the other way around. Um, I saw what I thought would be a cool flooring idea for my living room. And that's you take. You take craft paper, like brown craft paper, and you wad it up into like little sort of uh, shapes, and then you dip them in a glue solution. You glue them on your floor, then you put polyurethane all over it, and it looks kind of like stained concrete, which I think stained concrete, you know, the brown stained concrete they have it like Walmart's now. I think that looks great, um, and I'm like, oh, it's a good cost saving method. Jack, I spent forty solid hours putting in flooring in my living room, which is, we'll say. 12 by 8 feet. Okay. 40 hours, Jack. That's not ca- like, you know, 40 hour work week for me. Like, that's, I could have much, I could, so I've done flooring before. Like, in a previous life, you know, I was a flooring installer. I could have laid vinyl in this living room 30 minutes. Could have been done in 30 minutes and it would have lasted. And you know what didn't last? Paper bag flooring. It's coming up. It looks like crap now. Sure. So, uh, that, that did not work. Um, you know, and if you look on the internet, you only see people posting it. Um, <laughs> and it's like, oh, it works so great. Don't believe that. Um, I did not save money, especially when you, like, it probably did not cost a lot of money. You know, polyurethane, I probably, well, I probably wasted money. Um, polyurethane yeah. was about $50 for a gallon. I had to buy probably two. Um, you know, craft paper and soup, craft paper and Elmer's glue, 
that's negligible. That was almost nothing. But 40 hours of back breaking, like you have to bend over it. Like it's the worst experience ever. Um, and that's just one. Like I have, I have a handful of stories of like, I buy a part to build, um, oh, my, uh, when I built the box to hook up my electricity here, um, the, the RV panel outside, I'd, I had to go back to Lowe's, which is 30 minutes away, at least three times because the part was wrong. So I looked at the part and I'm like, totally the right part. You get home? Nope, not the right part. You know, cause I can't, I can't pull my pole out of the, out of the ground, take it to Lowe's and be like, oh yeah, that's the right part to sure. fit in there. Nope, can't do that. Um, and Lowe's is sort of a hit or miss. You either get someone awesome that'll help you or you'll get that guy that's avoiding you and be like, yeah, I don't know, dude. I don't know. I'm not going to help you. I'm going to run away when I see you. Uh, so it's a crapshoot. And, you know, like when you do live in, in the, the boonies, you know, everything is far away. You know, just 30 minutes. So it's like an hour round trip to get to the part store. And then if it's the wrong part, you have to go back again. Um, you know, uh, it is what it is. And then you're, you're learning all this stuff. So yeah, it would be good to go like the Gary Collins way and get contractors and have them build it. And Gary knows stuff too. Um, but you know, if you pay someone, they're not going to be making those Lowe's trips. They're going to do it. Um, but you're paying for it. You know, if you go the DIY route, um, you learn as you go. You know, I had never done plumbing before and I installed, you know, my water pump, which is a SureFlow water pump that comes out of RVs. Um, fed to an outside water line or an outside uh, rain barrel now uh, that goes through a filter system and then that gets pumped into my sink and then it gets pumped into my you know the DIY propane hot water heater that I made which I think is plumbed to the bathroom to have a hot water shower and you know it's you gotta have the mindset to to like this like if if you don't like doing DIY stuff you don't like troubleshooting problems you're going to be miserable. Uh, you're going to hate yourself. Um, you know, and, and everyone has those days where they're like, man, I do not want to go to Lowe's again. I hate those guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, know. my wife and me have this ongoing feud about PVC parts. Because if yeah. I ever need anything from the PVC parts aisle, you know, I always grab like a couple bags of half-inch elbows, a couple bags of one-inch elbows, some straights and some little fiddly this. And, and I'll buy like an extra $20 worth of crap. I don't really need this moment. And she's like, "Why? you have so much of that stuff. Why do you keep I'm like, because the most expensive PVC part is the one you don't have when water is flailing freezing cold spray at your face in January and you don't have that one seventy-five cent part. That is that part is expensive when you oh, got to yeah. drive to the store and by you come time you come back you're busting ice off with a freaking hammer or whatever and water's off to the house and all. So I have like if you need a PVC part, I probably have it. But yeah, because you don't want to make that trip again, and it, it's, it's it's an aggravating trip. Like you said, I mean, the only thing worse than not getting help. Most of the time at like Lowe's or Home Depot is getting help. It's it, like you look around, and you think you need help, and then you get help. You're like, oh god, why did I do this? So yeah, I got a hack man for Lowe's. I don't know if it works at Home Depot because I the Lowe's is easier to get in and out of the parking lot, so that's right. why I go there, right? So when I'm in Lowe's and I'm trying to find something, I look around and I'm like, okay, he's got an 81 IQ. No, I'm not asking. You look it up on the Lowe's website on your phone. It knows what lows you're in by the you know by the GPS, 
Right. It'll tell you the aisle and bin number in that store for that part. And that just saves so much time. Because you, you would think that the tape that you're looking for would be with all the other tape. It's no. not. No, it's not there. You know how that works. So that's yeah. like, that's one of my life hacks, man. Check Lowe's.com when you're at Lowe's and avoid talking to somebody with an 81 to 83 IQ. And for some of you that listen and work there, I know. <laughs> I know some of you know your stuff. I've actually gotten help from some solid people at Lowe's and Home Depot both. You know I'm right about your coworkers, so don't get mad and send me hate mail. <laughs> They do. And the way retail's going, pretty soon you won't even have to go in and deal with them. You'll just make that order. You'll yeah. pull up. Someone will come out, load up your truck, send you on your way. You won't even have to get out or make eye contact. Oh, that's so. my other hack with, with both of those stores. If you know exactly, like, like PVC parts and stuff, like or your thing with your pole, you're not really sure what you need. Or when you're trying to, like, there's really not a part for this, so I got to make something. Then yeah. you got to deal with it. If you know what you need, order it, pick it up at the counter. And yep. if it's bulky and heavy, my, I don't know about where you are. You're out in the sticks. Where I live, Lowe's will deliver anything, no matter how much it is, for $50. Bucks. So, like, when I did a project where I needed something like 42 4x4s, I'm not carrying 42 4x4s. But that guy with that little forklift will put them right where I want it for $50. Bucks. Yeah, yeah, man. Use, use delivery. Use pickup at the counter, man, because... God, just being in a, and the other thing is, you know, the other thing that happens, you go to Lowe's. Well, I, I need this. What is it? I don't know. Oh, yeah. I don't know what it is, but it'll look cool on my toolbox. Yep. That, right. That's, <laughs> I always swing through the hand tools and I'm like, man, I've always wanted to just have like, I just want to chisel every, like, you get watching like woodworking YouTube channels and like the, the old Woodwright show and you're like, well, I just want to build a table and just chisel stuff all day. Yeah. Until you do it. Until you do it. And then you're like, why did I buy this chisel? I'm never using this thing again. Exactly. So one of the things I've always thought, and, and to be fair, I haven't lived in a tiny house. So everything that I have is from seeing what other people do and then just logical extrapolation. And I did own a travel trailer for a while. It would seem to me that utilizing outdoor space would be one of the most critical components in making things really work. Did you take that approach? And if so, how? You have to. And with a family, you definitely do. Like, um, you know, with, 200 some odd square feet on the inside there's only so much you can do and sometimes you just need to be apart from people you know so like we have we have like a little area out there with hammocks are hung so you just go hang out in your your hammock area and just get away um you know the porch there's different little areas outside like you know throw in throw in like a little we had a camping area down there with like a little campfire and another place where you can hang hammocks um just one i believe being outside is good for you anyway um and two in a tiny house you know some i'm learning you know i'm still working out this whole marriage thing but sometimes you just need to be you need to have your own space you just you can't be in the same room 24/7 and with a tiny house you know the only options are go to the bathroom or go to the loft you know it's The living room, the kitchen is all one giant area, so you need that. And like, like I said, we, you know, we hung up some hammocks outside so that it's you can go chill out. Um, just building other little areas and, you know, putting in your gardens, putting in your. Um, <laughs> one of the first things I did, um, and even though I've heard you rail against them, like I, you know, I went and gathered up some rocks and built an herb spiral outside, planted some stuff in it. 
it looks nice. I'll give it that. Okay. I don't I don't know that it's actually performing all that great. Although I did find some volunteer basil in it uh, yesterday and made some spaghetti with it, so that was awesome. Awesome. Um, but yeah, just you know, and then learning your local areas. Like there's um, being in the boonies. There's a creek. There's a creek down the road. Like actually, there's there's a creek like a hundred feet away from me. Like I can look at it and see because. Um, I have more than four inches of topsoil here. I have beautiful Tennessee red clay that goes down hundreds of feet. Jack, sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, there's a there's a creek down there. Um, there's creeks all around us. Tennessee has a lot of creeks, so just sort of maximizing the outdoor space so that you know. And and I have uh, I have a shed because I have a shed. That's you know smaller. That uh, when my wife moved in, I moved a lot of my excess sort of survival gear out there. You know the not the stuff I need to survive. Not my bug out bag. Not my guns. But you know that you start collecting survival, and you probably know that people are more than willing to send you free stuff, and it can pile up unless you start giving it away at a very fast rate. You know, so excess sleeping bags. You know, out in the shed, hung up. Um, weird little hobby things. You know. Um, maximizing the area, not just outside the house, so that you know when you're in a tiny house, if you have everything packed in, it becomes super cramped real quick. And like I said, it, with three people being cramped is not good. You'll start getting on everyone's nerves. Bad, you know. Bad juju, man. I, I can I can understand that, man. I mean, I love my wife more than any other person on planet <laughs> Earth, but we still need some time apart. I. I, I don't know how you do it honestly without having like a, an office space that's like seclude like like sacred, right? Like because my rule when I'm in my office is if that door is closed, if I still had a job and I was ten miles across town, and you would not pick the phone up, knowing that my boss would know I took a phone call, then you do not you do not come in my door. Right? The door's open, come in. The door's closed. I'm working on something and it's work. So unless it's worth disturbing work, don't commit. I know that sounds kind of like tyrannical or whatever, but like that's how we like you know stay in love and don't kill each other and all those nice things. <laughs> it you know having another shed for me to to when I get my shed organized, maybe I'll start doing some more podcasts out there. Yeah. The only way I'm able to make it work now is like I do a lot of like show notes and show research at like two in the morning, you know, and that's. So what I got to like, my wife is dead asleep at two in the morning. She's not hearing me clack away on the keyboard, you know, or watch research videos. And, um, you know, like usually, um, I record, I record my podcast on Wednesday, which, so I record and release one today. You know, she gets up, gets the, uh, the kid ready for school, sends him off. She goes back to bed while she's sleeping. I record the podcast that I've already prepared and get that out. So trust me, I, I would love to have another room for an office and keep that office sacred, and that's on the agenda to build. You know, I'm looking at a majestic eight by twelve wood storage shed on Home Depot right now, nine ninety nine, and that's delivered and built too, isn't it? That's uh, probably not delivered and built. That's probably no. the kit price. I, I saw one on Lowe's that was uh, less than a grand delivered. Yeah. So, oh, there you go. If you can do yeah. that, yeah. I mean, I think we paid right around eleven hundred and something bucks, tax, title, everything. You know, assembly fee for the eight by eight we put in here, and 
I, you know, for a couple hundred bucks, I can't afford to put it together myself wrong for 200 right. bucks. I mean, because that guy, I, I'm serious to God, dude. I was pissed because I was, you know, I was doing stuff when we first moved here where I needed to leave the house a lot. And I'm like, now I'm going to have to stay here another day. I had no faith that this man could show up at 3.30 and, and do one of these sheds. And he was one guy. But all he did was these sheds for Lowe's and Home Depot And he had every tool, and he had you know, done it a hundred times. And, I mean, he did a fantastic job in a few hours. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. And I've built a shed um, before, like a 10 by 10 shed. Or I actually built two 10 by 10 sheds. And, man, there's no way I could have got those up in a day. A solid, like, get up at like four in the morning and start building until the dark. I could not have done that. No. Um, it took me, I don't know, two weeks, you know, mostly building on the weekends. But, yeah, it's... Well, it's like, worth paying for. And so I built this facade around some of my tanks, and when Patrick Roman was here, he goes, "That wall kind of leans a little bit." I'm like, "If you if you try <laughs> if you try to be disappointed in my my carpentry, I will not disappoint you. <laughs> I, I will never fail to disappoint you with my with my carpentry. I know my limits, you know." Yeah, it's good enough. Like, so for my bathroom, I don't think I touched on all the details, but. Um, I got really obsessed with like building a Japanese wooden soaking tub, not just like a stupid, ugly, normal shower, but like I wanted like, you know, a handcrafted wooden soaking tub and I built one. Like it looks beautiful. Lots of, lots of, uh, lots of polyurethane in that one to, you know, make it waterproof and, you know, I let it sit outside for a while, a couple of days to make sure that there's no leaks in it. Um, But even that, like, you know, I've never built a Japanese soaking tub. I'm not one of these master, you know, Japanese soaking tub makers. You know, I can find flaws in it. Like, the, you know, and the average person look at it and they're like, oh, that looks really great. That's amazing. Um, I look at it and I'm like, see right there? That's where I put the screw in the wrong place and had to, had to fill the hole there. Yeah. But it works. We use it every day and it works flawlessly. So, you know, whatever. Gotcha, man. So, um, What are you kind of where, where are you planning on going next with this stuff? Like, uh, what is what is the, the plan for like let's say the next two years? You kind of mentioned an additional shed, like is either a man shed or a kid shed or something like that. You got any other kind of plans for your you know your uh, your your little homestead going forward? Uh, I mean, besides just the and I would say definitely two sheds. Like the kid needs a shed. Um, I probably just need to remodel. Like I have myself in a shed now. Uh, my wife runs an Etsy business, so she probably needs, you know, for all the stuff you need extra space. Um, so she probably needs a shed for that. And then I just want to start hitting the, uh, the landscaping, the production stuff outside really hard, which I've not really done. Like the herb spiral was about the end of it. And, you know, I built that, uh, hammock, artificial hammock hang area. Um, I've got a hill off. Like the, I'm facing the hill right now off the backside of my, uh, my, my house. And I think you would love to design something there. Okay. One day, one day I will finish the, uh, oh, it's not even perma ethos anymore. I will finish what was the perma ethos PDC. Um, and I really want to get some like beds in out there, um, get in some production fruit trees there. So. Really, the the plan is to start getting the production. Like I've got the the house mostly settled enough now, where I want to start getting in some some food. So that's another thing. Like 
I've got no bills from having a house payment, and I want a portion of my food to start coming from my land. You know, besides that wonky volunteer basil that I found. <laughs> so that that's the big goal, and then obviously the goal is always to keep Survival Punk growing um, out there, tooth and nail, getting every fan that I can get my hands on. Yeah, I mean, so what is where I was going to go there next? You know, what what are your plans for Survival Punk as a, as a business and as a whole? You know, I'm. The podcast is getting better, uh, a lot better. I, you know what? I looked at the show notes for the last, or I looked at the episode the last time I was on there, and someone's like, "Dude, you say like too much," and I was like, "Not going to do that ever again. Not going to keep like like bombing it." So that guy is happy now. So yeah, just uh, the podcast, just keep growing that, keep the quality up, um, keep it going. You know, keep do some more blog posts. But my focus now really is on is on growing the podcast and trying to put out the best quality podcast that I can with my very specific take on survival things, which you know the the survival podcast swimming pool is a fairly large one like um the the people that really love my show tend to be sort of a a more vulgar <laughs> uh, you know sort of a punk crew like yeah. You know, I, I've got some people that uh, obviously I people that listen to both our podcasts because sure. some people are you know podcast consumption is pretty high. Like they'll tear through a week's worth of your podcast in a day, and like I need more. Yeah. Uh, um, and with two thousand some odd podcasts, there's plenty of backlog. So, you know, it's it's just uh, finding people that like my specific sort of. And they haven't seen it in this podcast, obviously, but my very raunchy sort of uh, a hole take on things, you know. Hey, man, and no, that's your thing, though. That's that's and exactly that's, that's why you have the audience you do. Like you, you put out content a certain way and a certain flavor and a certain brand, and you attract people like that, and that's good. Now, that's what I think everybody should do. Like instead of trying to like mimic something else, or you know, I, I, what I've heard, what I heard when I started was. You need to have a bigger tent, like Ronald Reagan yeah. did. And I'm like, you know, has a big tent. Fox News has a big tent. CNBC has a big tent. You know, NBC has a big tent. M M MSNBC has a big tent. Oh, the networks and the media giants—that's their goal. A big tent. Their big tent is half of the people. So if you're going to mm -hmm. try to have a big tent, well, then you're going to go compete with people that have billions and billions of dollars, tens of thousands of employees, and you can't. The no. way you compete is you are yourself, you're true to yourself and what you are, and screw anybody that doesn't like it because all you need is a little tiny sliver of a great big pie and you have a you have a little empire. Exactly. And that's why I always tell people like do it your way. Like I'm glad that like like some people see me as an example, but I'm like, let me be an example of being yourself. Don't go out and like go, oh, I'm gonna try to do exactly what Jack did, because it's not gonna work. Right? You gotta go out and be true to yourself and who you are and your ethos. And if you do that then you're going to have some success. I don't know how much, because I don't know how good you are, how much you're going to dedicate to it, how long you're going to work, but you'll have more success that way than you probably will any other way. I, I don't know how familiar you are with, like, John Willis at SOE Tactical Gear. Oh, yeah, you know, like, I've hung out with John. like, you know, F you and screw that. And yeah. Like, you're an idiot, and I'm going to turn your name into a discount code and sell a bunch of shit. Like, you know, it's just savage on people. His is. business is incredibly successful, because you know... 
that's what you're going to get. And if you know, if you get your product and you didn't know, and you see, you know, made in the MF in USA, and it's all spelled out, and that offends you, he's going to make a whiny bitch out of you and sell like 10, 10 20 times more stuff using you. But that's oh, yeah. John. That's John. Now I can't go out and be John. I can't go that far because it's not me, right? So like. Even though that works, doesn't mean that I want to be that or you want to be that. Like you find your own groove and you stick to it, and you just hammer the hell out of it, and in time it works. I have a funny story about John Willis. So um, John Willis doesn't—he's not terribly far from me. Like he's down in Camden. That's not very far from me. And um, so I had one of his stickers on my car, still do. And uh, I got pulled over one time by some cops here in Tennessee. They were—they were good. They—they were—they were some pretty good cops. And as soon as they came to me, they're like, sir, are you carrying a weapon? I'm like, what? Like, that's rat. Like, I've never been pulled over and had them come right up to the window and be like, are you carrying a weapon? Yeah. I'm like, no. Like, why? Like, we saw your SOE sticker back there made in the MF in USA. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, John's great. They're like, <laughs> and, you know, they had bought gear from John. So, like, yeah. they were like, oh, yeah, okay, we're just, we're just checking. Yeah. Man, go on your way. You have a good day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, James, man, it's a small world. Thank you for being with us today. And 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 as you you know continue to build out Survival Punk, whenever you want to come, give us an update, talk about another project or something. Just uh, fill out the guest form, and uh, and Dorothy will uh, hook you up with a, with an interview date. And, and and thanks again for spending some time with us today. Uh, it was it was a great pleasure to be back on Survival Podcast and and chat with you again. All right, guys, uh, really had a great chat with James. I got a big announcement for you guys. I wanted to start promoting this right away. It's not going to actually happen until October, and it's going to be in San Antonio. It's called the uh, Veterans Alcoholic Beverage Competition, and it, it's a pretty cool thing. Uh, uh, Nathan Love from Frontier Tactical was asked to be a judge at this thing, and apparently they had to move the venue where they plan to do this from Corpus Christi to San Antonio, and some of the, the, the judges they had probably, I guess, were local to Corpus Christi, and Corpus Christi and San Antonio are pretty far apart, and I, I think they ended up short on judges, and he's like, hey, I know this guy Jack, and they're like, yeah, well, let's get in touch with him, so uh, I am also going to be a judge at this uh, alcoholic beverage competition, he had to They had to twist my arm really hard to get me to do that. Like, you know, would you come down here and sample a bunch of great beers or spirits or wines uh, made by companies across the country and, and also uh, do it in a way that is supporting our veterans? Uh, okay, I'll do that. So I, I, then I reached out to Brian Black over at ITS Tactical and said, Hey, man, uh, would you be interested in this? And he said he was, and I got him in touch. And they, so Brian and I are going to be there together. Uh, we're going to kind of brainstorm some things, and we're going we're gonna to definitely put together a TSP slash ITS meetup where we have all of our folks together uh, probably the Friday before. This is going to Saturday and Sunday event. Uh, again, in San Antonio, Texas, at the San Antonio Event Center. It's going to be uh, really cool. They're expecting up to 55,000 guests at this. I hope they hit that number. That's a pretty big number to, to shoot for on your first shot. But uh, they've got things put together really well. And uh, there's a couple things I want to do. One, I just want to make you aware of it so you can look at the dates and times and figure out if you can be down there and hang with us. And, again, we're probably going to do something Friday evening somewhere in the San Antonio area. We haven't decided yet. If you have any suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Um, I think that would be really cool. Something that can accommodate a lot of people. I mean, either one of us, if we do something like this, we're going to have a lot. If you do it together, it could be really uh, population-heavy is the goal anyway. 
And it just seems like a great event. I also want to let you guys know they do have sponsorships available, and they're not expensive. Uh, they're, they're really trying to reach out and get as much participation as possible in this thing. So like a sponsorship spot is either $250 or $500. Bucks. I'm going to sponsor them at the $250 level. Uh, the, the big difference is if you're at the $500 level, you can promote a specific product. Uh, and you can have a, like a circular that goes out in all of their, you know, their, their, their swag bags and stuff like that. Since I don't really sell a specific widget or anything, I'm going to go ahead and hold to the 250 level. Some of you guys, it might be a really great opportunity. I know a lot of you guys out there that listen, you're in the, the, the prepper space, you're in the tactical space, etc. This is right up the line with, uh, you know, veterans. That, that all fits well. Of course, alcoholic beverage, food and beverage is a huge market. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you can check them out. The, uh, the website address is vabevcomp.com. V-A-B-E-V-C-O-M-P.com. Of course, there will be a link in today's show notes. So I'm going to be there. Brian Black's going to be there. A lot of other really cool people are going to be there. This looks like I've, I've not seen anything done quite like this yet. Um, I, I really am not sure uh, exactly how they came up with the idea. I've seen, you know, veterans things done. I've seen entrepreneurial things done. I've seen beverage competitions done. Kind of bringing those all together, I think, is really cool. And the reason I was asked to be a judge of this thing is, one, yes, I have like 25 years of home brewing and home venting experience, uh, and I really like alcohol beverages. Uh, but they were looking for successful veteran entrepreneurs to serve on this judge's panel. And so they're looking, and they're going to have a networking thing for us judges, and they're looking to really create connections and help veterans figure out how to transfer into the world of entrepreneurship or find other opportunities. Uh, and they're doing it with one of the most rapidly growing industries in the country, which is micro distilleries, micro breweries, you know, boutique wineries, and things like that. Didn't hear any mention of mead, but I bet they can be uh, entered under the wine category. I don't know if homemade beverages are available. I think it's more like a pro-semi-pro thing. I'm not sure on that. I'll get some clarification, but you can bang around the website and look at uh, entering your product. I'm sure they would like to do that. I think it's 70 bucks an entry, so it's a pretty low entry fee. And again, they have some really cool sponsorships. I'll link to those for you too as well today. Uh, and you'll see me on the judge page. It's pretty cool, and I'd love to see a lot of you guys there. On another note, involving Brian Black. So... I wrote an article uh, that was just published today at the ITS Tactical Blog. And, of course, I have a pretty big audience here, and I could have put it out on my blog. Uh, I, I put it out on Brian's blog, and, and he was good enough to run it for me because I felt that it would reach more of the people that it needed to reach there. Because while there's a lot of military in this audience and a lot of military families in this audience, his audience is probably 80 to 90% military in Leo and probably heavier weighted toward military than anything else. And it's about coming home as a veteran when you come home for good, not coming home for leave, when you, when you end your time in service. And it, it discusses my story. And it was inspired by a, a group on Facebook called Disgruntled Veterans. And I really like what these guys do. They just put out memes every day, but they don't put out memes that are generally like the typical memes. They're, they're pretty impactful memes, and a lot of times they're even just funny or humorous or make you think back, you know, like a, a squad bay ripped apart by drill sergeants or something like that, or an older piece of military gear that a sold farts like me would be like, yeah, I remember being issued that, and a guy that was, you know, went in 10 years ago wouldn't even know what it is, uh, that type of thing. And, and they put out this meme a while ago, 
And it showed basically, you know, a lake and a guy with a beer. And it basically said, when your veterans come home, you know, sometimes they just need a beer and some space. And, and, it's, and they're, they're going to be okay, but, but give them some space. And, man, it took me back. Because I've told this story before, but I'll tell the short version of it again here as I close up today. It wasn't just like it hit home. It was like somebody... Somebody stood next to me when this happened and made this meme 25 years later. Uh, I had come home. I went out with some friends to a place that we used to hang out. It was like an old rock quarry that was now a multi-acre little lake that we used to fish in. And uh, everybody was talking. And you can read the article to get more insight on it. But I was just basically like, I can't, I can't do this right now. I, I can't listen to this. I, I don't care about the things these people care about. There's no talk about mission or objective or the next deployment or anything that, that was really hardcore meaningful. There's nothing wrong with them. It, they just, they just. I was only out of the, the military less than a week at this point. I had, I had, I had been a soldier for three years and three days and two plane rides and it was gone. And so I took a couple beers and I walked about 50 yards away. I sat on a rock. I drank my two beers. I looked at the stars. I looked at the water. And I just chilled out. I came back within 30 minutes. I spent the rest of the night with everybody. I had a great time. I didn't feel like I did anything really weird or anything, but I started getting the question, what's wrong with you? And I heard when I would be in a group of people, and they didn't think I could hear them. I have pretty good hearing. now. I guess I do, don't anymore, but I did still back then. And I would hear them say, you know, what's, what's wrong with Jack? What's, 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 is he okay? You know? And I, that's when I took my walk on the Appalachian Trail. Because I, I just realized, like, I need to figure out how to fit in. It's, just, I don't, it's not right for me to expect society to fit in with me. And I, I had this this turmoil that took years to really get back to being just Jack. And I never understood what it really was until, I would say, in the last ten years doing this show and dealing with so many different people in so many different situations. But I figured out what it was. I was mourning not being a soldier anymore. I, I, I was mourning the fact that I would never get up at 0500 again with 500 other drunk soldiers and do PT. I was, I was mourning the fact that I would never again march to a cadence or run to a cadence, that I would never again be part of that thing that was bigger than myself in a meaningful way, that it would always be the fraternity and brotherhood, but it would never be that way, that I would never again be surrounded by you know hundreds of people all pledged to give their life in defense of mine and I in defense of theirs if necessary. That, that that chapter in my life had closed, and that thing that I it was me for three years was now in many ways gone and would never come back. And I mourned that loss. I didn't have PTSD. I didn't go through any heavy combat scenarios or anything like that. But I spent almost all my time overseas. I spent my time surrounded by my fellow soldiers. And when I came home, that piece of me was gone forever. And this meme that these guys at Disgruntled Vets put out, it hit me like dead square in the heart, like hard. And I did a, a, a response to it immediately on Facebook, and I, I sent it off to Brian and said, if I formalize this into an article, would, would you run it? And he said yes. He ran that today. I'll have a link in the show notes. This is my hope for this article, that people will read it, and if you have vets coming home, you'll be able to understand what they're going through. And, and don't try to fix it for them. That's actually what I wrote in there. Just understand it. And if they have legitimate issues, like they went through some things and, and they're like suicidal or have PTSD or something like that, then yeah, they need professional help. But if every once in a while they just want to be the hell away from you, it's not because they don't care about you or love you or they're not happy to be home. And they may not even understand themselves what they're dealing with. They're dealing with that piece is gone. 
And I want families and friends and loved ones that have vets coming home, whether it's after three years, 20, or 30 years. Because i got to imagine in some ways it's worse when it's 20 years of your life. I want them to know what, what that person's going through when they come home and understand how to give them space. But here's what I want more. I want you to share this with soon-to-separate or recently-separated veterans because I wish somebody would have told me, here's what's happening to you. Here's why you feel this way. Because I started to ask myself, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just fit back in? I never understood that it really wasn't about fitting back in. It was like going through a divorce. And when you go through a divorce with someone that you loved and you were married to, but you know you really needed to be out of it, you still understand why you're mourning the loss. It makes sense to you. When you come out of the military, you never think of it that way. But that's the way that it really is. So share this article everywhere that you can that makes sense, especially with friends and family that are either veterans or friends and family of veterans, and especially those soon to separate or recently separated. Uh, I really appreciate it if you could do that for me and for those people, too. I, I really think it will be helpful to them. Uh, next up, just real quick, if you want to help support this show, you know you can do that by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. I'm bringing around an item today for my item of the day review that I think – really has passed the muster. So you might remember this if you listened back in August of last year. I have a Bluetooth speaker that I ended up recommending, a little bitty one. It only cost like 45 bucks at the time. And it was uh, IPX5 waterproof. And you can read on the site what that means. But that means it's pretty damn waterproof. Don't throw it in the pool, but if it rains or somebody sprays it with a hose, it's going to be okay. And a buddy of mine had this thing, and I didn't even really do any research on it because I thought it was so cool, I just went home and bought one off of Amazon. And I started listening to it. I really liked it. I decided to run it as an item of the day. And at that point, again, I hadn't done any research on it. So I did a fake spot review on it, and they got an F for, for putting up fake reviews. And I, you can read the whole article, and there's a video I did with it, too, showing how I know they're fake and how I verify they're fake. And, and going, I was left with a conundrum. I have like what I think is the best sub-$40 product for Bluetooth speaker on the planet, but they cheated the review system. And in the end, what I decided is this. Amazon's the one that built a review system where it's so easy to cheat, and that's why people are doing it. The product stands on its merits, so I put it out and said I recommend it, even though they're big, big cheaters. Well, it's been a year. If I was going to have problems with it because it was a cheaply made piece of crap, I would have. You guys know me. I'm tough on gear. Uh, Patrick Rorman says when he talks about sharpening knives, he's like, well, depends on who you're sharpening a knife for. If you're sharpening a knife for most people, you go like 18 to 20% angle. But if it's Jack Spiracle, you better sharpen it at like a 25% angle because he's rough on stuff. And he's right. And I was rough on this speaker because it was 45 bucks. And I want to see if I could handle it. It's been to the pool. hadn't been in the pool, but it's been right at the side of the pool. Charlie splashed water on it when he swim. It works. And it works every time. It sinks every time. It's a good product. It went from 45 bucks to 39.99. If you're looking for a little Bluetooth speaker, one that you don't have to... Like, I have a really great $300 Bose, but there's certain places I don't want to take that. If you want something, you can take it anywhere. It's small, it's light, it easily recharges. You don't have to worry about it getting wet, and you want it for 40 bucks or less. I don't know a better product other than this product. Again, it is called the Okumi iChocolate Mini Bluetooth Speaker. It's at tspaz.com or just at the survivalpodcast.com. Uh, you can't go wrong with it, even though they're a bunch of big cheaters, but... Man, it's like, you know, when I thought about it, I thought about it this way. Back in, like, the early 2000s, when I started putting websites online, there were all these ways to supposedly cheat to get ranked well in Google. People called it Black Hat. I did all of it. You know why? Because it worked. 
And in the words of my buddy David, if you ain't cheating, you, you, you ain't trying. And, and Google and other search engines, unlike apparently Amazon with review, review systems, made it more and more difficult to cheat. And I think actually the cheaters, like me, made Google a better search engine because we pushed them to make their system better. Amazon could take a lesson from that. All they got to do is really link into the FakeSpot website, and they would be able to display the FakeSpot grade next to the, the, the reviews. And uh, people would stop doing it, but they don't do that. So you rely on people like me for independent research. But just because you know, they paid for some fake reviews doesn't mean the product ain't good. This thing's awesome. All right, with that, let's talk about the song of the day. Song of the day today is Say Something by Justin Timberlake with uh, vocals included by Chris Stapleton. Now, Chris Stapleton is one of my favorite people in the world, and Justin Timberlake, meh. I actually have a lot of respect for Justin Timberlake's talent as a musician. He can he, He's a, a guy in some ways that I think of a lot like Chris Rock. He can, Chris Rock, did I say that? Uh, that's... That's not what I mean. Kid Rock, right? Chris Rock. Kid Rock. Like, Kid Rock can do rap. I don't like rap, but Kid, Kid Rock can do rap. He can do rock. He can do country. He can do folk. And I don't know that Timberlake's that versatile, but he's pretty damn versatile. And uh, then, But then Chris Stapleton being as Chris Stapleton, my God, that, that guy is just an amazing musician. Of course, being a country guy, you know, I'm uh, easily swayed in that direction. But they did this video together. And it was something like 200 people involved in this video. Weeks of planning, they did it in one shot, going through this, this building. And it's just an awesome put-together video. And it, I think it's worth watching the video and knowing that it was done in a single shot. I think it's pretty impressive. Um, and it, the guy that did the video that, that Timberlake got to do the work with him, said, I don't want this to be a stunt. I, if we're going to do this, I don't want to do it just so it's this. I want to do something really amazing. And I want a reason for it. And the reason was like this internal dialogue in your head. And it, the story needed to be told from that concept of that one single shot moving through this building. It's awesome. Now, I, I looked up some stuff on this video, uh, on the song itself. And Timberlake, as far as I know, hasn't come out and said this is what the song's about. But there's at least some people that theorize, based on the timing of when it came out, that it was in response to his criticism that he received for not saying a lot of stuff during the Me Too movement. And if that's true, then I think his stance of saying nothing was probably even smarter, given where some of that stuff has gone now and, and, and what have you. But I, 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 would, I, I would think, knowing what I do of Timberlake's music, that... He would write something broader, and I'm sure there's been many times where he's been expected to say something and kept his mouth shut. And all of a sudden, we've, we've hit a place in the world today where keeping your mouth shut is a bad thing. I'm not a fan of Donald Trump, but you know he took all kinds of crap because the press kept asking him about John McCain, and he just said nothing and made no comment. Well, McCain's the guy that said, I don't want him at my funeral. So McCain clearly didn't want the president eulogizing him, saying anything about him. So he just honored the guy's request, kept his mouth shut. You also kind of follow the thing of, like, if you can't say nothing good, then keep your mouth shut, don't say nothing at all. And, and I think, in a lot of ways, that's what this song's about. Nothing to do with Trump. It was written two years ago. But the concept of you don't always need to say something. Sometimes the strongest statement you can make is to remain silent. And I also think it's about letting other people put words in your mouth, more than even that. You know, I can think of it, again, going back a little bit into the world of politics, where some far 
wing, right wing, or left wing nut job says something positive about a political candidate, and that candidate is expected to come out and forcibly deny association and denounce that. A, who gives a like? Why would I give you the 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 auspice of being mentioned by me? Just because I'm being, I'm being basically goaded into it by the media. And I think that happens in all our lives, not just celebrities, that people want to demand of you that you speak against or for something where what you really want to do is not say nothing at all. Or maybe you want to speak, but you know what you're going to say? Nobody wants to hear. And you're just not up for the fight right now. But everybody wants to goat you into doing it. And if that's what it really is, whether it's about that one issue or whether it's broad about all those issues, again, I'm not a huge Justin Timberlake fan, but hell yeah, man. Don't let anybody make you say what you don't want to say. Don't let anybody put words in your mouth. That's what, that's what this song is. It's going on in your head. Say something. Say something. Maybe I don't want to say something. Maybe my silence is saying something. Or how about applying it to voting? I've said this before. I don't vote. And I vote by not voting. Since you can't show me anybody that I can really strongly vote for, my silence is my statement. Not some token vote for some third party who doesn't have a chance that I don't really want either. Sometimes the strongest statement you can make is saying nothing at all. And certainly don't let anybody put words in your mouth or make you say what you don't want to say. That's, that's compromising in the most negative way possible because it's compromising your principles. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.